Hello and welcome back to another episode of Good Digital, the podcast about using digital for good. A few days before the recent US election, I spoke to Jason Wojciechowski from the campaign and communication strategy agency CoreLab on how digital was used by both sides in their campaign communications. Since Howard Dean's use of digital in the 2004 Democrat leadership primary, each US election cycle now sees digital's best and brightest working to push the digital envelope of political communications and campaigning, with many going on to form startups or influence wider digital practice once the cycle finishes. During our chat, Jason and I looked at some of the emerging trends that came out of the 2016 US presidential election cycle and what charities, social enterprises and not-for-profits can take away to learn, test and build upon in their own work. Jason, say hello and introduce yourself to the good digital listeners. Uh, gladly, Karina. Hey, everybody. I'm Jason Wojcicki and I'm the creative director at CoreLab um, and we... Well, you work with us, so you know, Karina, but other people might know that we not know that we develop campaigns uh, for nonprofits, cause-based organizations, and occasionally political campaigns as well. And so, Jason, you're in the heart of the most talked about um, political election of our times, which is the Trump v. Clinton smack bang in New York. What are the technologies or the communication sort of techniques that you've seen coming out of both camps that have sort of gone, wow, that's really interesting how they, they're doing that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think to, to get a handle on it, we have to go back a little before it was Trump v. Clinton. Um, I'm not sure. Are, do your listeners know about this Trump fella? Have they? They might have heard a little bit about him. Just a, just okay. a bit. He's, he's yeah. he, he gets a little bit of media attention. He's uh, he's an orange on a toothpick, and uh, he's running for president. Um, <laughs> we'll fix it in post. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyways, yeah, so I think we have to go back a little to the primary time because that's when we started seeing a lot of this technology coming forward. Um, and, you know, one of the big pieces was peer-to-peer SMS campaigning. Um, and it was, you know, it was born a bit out of necessity and out of just that reality of the crazy open rates that text messages have. Um, and so I think Bernie Sanders campaign gets a lot of credit for seizing on this and using this to drive kind of the huge crowds and, and the surge that he saw, um, going from around 4% of the polls to, you know, capturing close to, close to 45% or so of the vote. Um, And the necessity is around, you know, the federal um, communications organization here, the FCC, and they have obviously rules in place around text messaging to prevent against spam. So there's limits to how much, you know, can be sent from one number. Um, And what some of these programs have enabled people to do is to, to kind of use a chain effect or a phone tree, but using text message. So they were able to kind of empower volunteers to be sending text messages out to a ton of people and in some cases recruiting them to volunteer, in other cases helping them get them out to vote. Um, 
I also, of course, this helped with fundraising. But I think, you know, it's already something that we're seeing new companies sprout up to utilize this technology. And I think there'll be a lot of work to educate campaigners about how it works and how it can be used for them moving forward. Interesting, because I know previous podcast people we've had have just giving have talked about how surprised they were just in in terms of how effective WhatsApp was in terms of sharing appeals out and just the amount of people that were making donations because they've been sent a link via WhatsApp. So parlaying that to getting people out to vote, convincing them who to vote to, who to vote for, and um, getting the messages out for a campaign, I can see the natural progression. But um, how do you think not-for-profits and mission-driven organisations, what would the steps that they would need to think about to start thinking about how they could adopt this type of technology? I think a big thing is to um, to look at the platform where their users are. And, you know, you, you just talked about WhatsApp, um, and we've already worked with some organisations who – you know, the most feedback they get um, from their partner organizations and from volunteers is through WhatsApp, and they're working in, in places like Kenya and Nigeria. Um, we've connected to people who are working in the Middle East and who are really heavily using Telegram, um, and a lot of that is around privacy issues. So, you know, I think it's talked about right now as SMS, and that's what's being focused on in the U.S., but it doesn't need to be SMS because now that Facebook Messenger has opened up their API, WhatsApp will, in the very near future, open up an API. Um, Telegram has that in place already. What it means, and, and Google with launching Allo now means that they're also looking at this. So, you know, the signal from kind of the, the massive organizations at the center of, of the web are all saying that messaging application apps are the future. Um, and SMS is, you know, the original messaging app and is where we tend to tend to look at first, but it also has, can have costs associated with it that are a lot higher than using some of these others. And, you know, for a lot of people, um, Facebook messenger may be way more valuable than SMS actually is. Um, so I think part of it is just to start looking at where are your people and where are they trying to talk to you? Because so many of these organizations will relegate, you know, we get messages on Facebook and once a week we have an intern come in who talks to these people. Um, but what you're missing is, you know, what's actually being said in these conversations? What are these people wanting to do with your organization, for your organization, what are their concerns? Um, and if you let them, you know, if you if you turn it around to be supporter-led um, around your mission, and or as a lot of the groups would say, member-driven, if you're talking about kind of a vase or a move-on style group, the, or some of us, um, they use the language member-driven. And so, you know, at a bigger level, moving towards member-driven Campaigning, I think, is vital for any organization that wants to stay relevant and and have meaningful campaign wins moving forward. Um, and, yeah, I think it's then getting more senior people into those spaces and being part of those conversations. Um, you know, so 
whether you are a huge fan, for example, of charity water, um, I'm kind of I'm I'm not big on that form of direct fundraising and and building wells rather than than advocacy as you as you probably know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Charity Water has a customer happiness team, um, and this is not you know a a small team. Oh, I guess we're, we're dealing with credit cards. We're going to have to do some some form of support for credit card issues. Um, Charity Water, it's really much of what leads their organization in terms of how they talk to their funders is this, this essentially it's a customer support community management team. And they're having conversations with the people who want to support their organization all day. And those conversations guide decisions the organization makes. Um, you know, it, it means they're constantly learning about what's working and what's not working, what's tripping people up uh, rather than just guessing. So think that that is you know that move to to going beyond saying like we really want to have conversations which organizations have been saying since you know the advent of facebook we're going to go on facebook we're going to have conversations but really we haven't been having conversations we've been trying to send out what we hope will be viral content and then looking at the comments once in a while and scratching our heads and saying, how can we suppress these comments? Basically. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of people who want to talk to you and maybe they don't want to leave a comment, but they, they will engage in what seems like a more personal and in some ways uh, a less daunting and less intimidating form of communication, which is always in their pocket, um, which is Facebook messenger or WhatsApp or SMS and the reality of these APIs means that you can do a lot with in that conversation without having an actual person talking to them. Um, so I think that's the other, you know, kind of convergence of what's happening with the campaigns that we'll see happening with organizations who want to play in this space is chatbots. And I really kind of hate the term chatbot because I think it it makes it this big confusing thing. And in reality, a lot of what the technology is, is been there for a long time. Um, you know, there are cases where the Googles of the world are building artificial intelligence and they want to teach it to be able to have conversations with you. Um, but there's other tools which are more relevant to most people that, that let you funnel a user through an experience. Um, and I guess user is kind of more of the tech world term. And in this case, it's a supporter. Or it could be someone who's receiving your services, depending what, what kind of nonprofit you are. But, um, you know, for a long time, emails had this ability through auto replies and drip content that you can send to people over time. Uh, the SMS tools that have existed for, you know, five or five years plus have all had this functionality built in where you can lead someone through a conversation path. And now you kind of have all that, you know, to a much more powerful degree through the APIs of Facebook Messenger. So you can have someone text, um, you know, I'm concerned about Syria, what can you do? And you can automatically send them rich content with photos, with video that says, hey, here's, here's three things you can do right now. Here's something you can share in your networks. And then they can respond to that and say, you know, that's great, but I want to do more. And you can have your system say, oh, 
do more is a, a key phrase for us. And that automatically gets the volunteer team on the line to talk to that person and, and help figure out how they can do more. So that's um, really, Jason, that's really interesting. And I think, I think it helps people put into context where, of how they could use this in their organization as well, where I think many organizations are used to creating content to put out there still very much in a broadcast capacity rather than thinking of having content ready that could be triggered based on what someone is asking. And how have you seen it? If you experienced any examples through the presidential campaign of when you've engaged with the presidential campaign of that, any examples that you've had and how that works? Yeah. Um, I mean, on the media landscape side, because I think the media is doing more of this, there's there's a few chatbots that are trying, you know, there's one called Purple, um, and they're named Purple because they, they want to kind of just give you the facts, tell you tell you the story of what's going on in the campaign without bias as much. Should we remind everyone that red and blue make up purple? So that's... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're in no way a, a campaigning organization, but, you know, they're using that technology to to let people um, ask about the campaign and then get stories sent back to them. And, and I think, you know, there's one technical element of this where you can connect it to your website quite easily and, and someone can write a keyword and it can automatically return things from your website to them, which, which is nice and interesting and, and opens up a lot of doors. But I think what's more powerful and far more engaging um, is these chatbots that walk you through a story. So they give you, you know, a sentence at a time. They really break it down for you. They let you make choices about, hey, tell me more about that. That's interesting to me. And the engagement rates are you know, skyrocket when you do that. Um, if you want to look at the very best example I've seen of, of this and kind of how it can be addictive, um, there's a new news website a lot of people know called Quartz, um, QZ.com, and they have, uh, instead of creating an app for their news website, they created a chatbot, um, and iPhone users can use it and, and kind of get the news from them that way. And you'll just see that there's something about the conversation flow that um, that just changes your engagement. You're no longer browsing the web, looking at a whole bunch of things, being bombarded. You're you're in a conversation, um, and people tend to go through that conversation to its conclusion. And I think that's ultimately one of the powerful kind of psychological elements of this is there's a conclusion. There's a moment where even the Quartz app, which has endless news that it could feed you, says that's all the news I have for now. You know, I'll let you know when I have more. So it's a little less overwhelming. Um, and I can so see, I think, yeah, I can see there, like my mind was going as you were saying that. And I'm saying like, if a lot of the campaigns I've worked on in the past have all been about either things that are in the news, but you don't know why they're in the news. So for instance, like, okay, why is this, why is uh, the refugee crisis happening now? If someone really hasn't paid attention to the last few years and doesn't really understand why there is refugee crisis happening now, a, a service like Quartz would be really good to ask questions and for them to give you 
the backstory so you can understand what's going on now or mm. I think yeah, exactly I mean that's um you know and the work with um change.org that that we've done and that, that Ed spent a lot of time doing you know a lot of what if a petition is a story, right? A petition is a story, and in the case of change.org, um, depending how widely they're sending the email, it's a story possibly going to people who've never heard any of it before. And so there's already been a lot of work in how do you boil down, which is often a very complex story, into a single call to action, a subject line, uh, you know, a sentence at the top that's informational, and then you have this kind of tell me more content um, that fills out the email. So people have already been kind of trained to, to think in this way and to, to write in this way through petitions and through emails. And I think if, you know, you look at what we do as a lot of storytelling, it, this is a, a new and a far more, I think, engaging way to tell stories because you can keep them right in that platform, um, text message or or a messaging app and then give them the action, which they can take right from there as well. Mm. Um, and I think too, the other thing that doing through messaging apps, people can choose the time that they do it. So if you're, if you know, you're really hectic and you can't do it during work days, but you can do it as you're traveling or when you've got five minutes away from the kids or something like that, I think it gives a lot more flexibility rather than going down, sitting at a computer, typing in, oh, going to a website. Whereas, to be honest, if I've got downtime normally, I end up going to BuzzFeed or somewhere where I'm going to get a bit of entertainment as well because I need to have some brain space. But I think this messaging format is really interesting as it just changes the relationship of how you ask and find out about information. So if I would say, say to you, yeah. and I'm putting you on the spot, what, um, what skills would you recommend not-for-profit and mission-driven orgs to start thinking about to get ready to take advantage of this new technology? What would you suggest? Yeah, that's putting me on the spot. I mean, I think <laughs> the first thing I'll say is is don't don't plan. Don't say like, what's our training program? Like, get your hands dirty. Open up uh, Chat Fuel or um, what is it? Con- Conversation AI. Like, if you just search, there's a ton of these platforms that are that are built for this. Look at. Um, Hus- I'll, I'll put Hus- some Hus- links in the, sh- in the show notes as well. So. It'll be easy for people to find them. Um, you know, because what all these companies are trying to do is, is remove any need of pro- for programming. So there's already all these platforms where you can just go in and, and play around and see how it works. Um, and, and the other way to get your hands dirty is to go into your organization's uh, help email, see what people are sending at that, go into the Facebook conversations and Twitter, Twitter direct mentions and and try to find out what the patterns are, what people are talking about, um, what's coming to you. You know, if it's not realistic, depending on the size of your organization, to to you know have the most senior people do that. Start putting together weekly reports on it and what's coming in, and, and start treating it seriously in the same way that you would hopefully be treating seriously your metrics around social or your metrics around fundraising. Um, because I think just that shift that there's value 
in these spaces and in these people who are trying to talk to us will have a, a really powerful effect for organizations. Um, and then I'd say, you know, run some, some experiments. A lot of what people, people have found that works are through experiments. And there's a lot that probably works that we haven't even tried yet. Um, you know, you, something you were just saying there, Karina, is about how, you know, this conversation thread is ongoing. This conversation, it it gets separated from email in a way because your emails are probably coming into them as separate emails, right, um, over time. But you're having one conversation thread with them through Facebook Messenger, for example. Um, and you can know that the rates are going to be incredibly high, that they're going to see the messages you send them. So it gives you a greater responsibility, but it also gives you a chance over time to have a conversation and move people through, you know, uh, a ladder of engagement, which is a term I don't love, but I think works here. Um, and just, you know, the most obvious example in campaigning right now, um, Hello Vote is one example that, where they're doing a great job of, you know, they started with, hey, you can register to vote um, through text message or Facebook messenger. And they, they lead people through a path where they say, all right, tell us, tell us who you are. Tell us where you live. Um, let's check now if you're registered to vote. Oh, it looks like you're not registered to vote, but let's help you get registered. Um, and they're going to have people on that journey that maybe started a month ago through Election Day. You know, they're going to be able to talk to them on Election Day and say, did you vote yet? Um, what time do you want to go vote? We'll send you a reminder at that time. And then at that time, when you say, yes, I did vote, they can send you a question and say, hey, did you have any problems with voting? Um, and then, you know, use that to actually uh, find out where voter suppression is happening or work with media to tell those stories. So if you start thinking about those conversations in this kind of longer-term user journey rather than a one-off, we send a text message and we hope that they respond to our one action we send them. Mm. Um, you know, that's where the relationship kind of changes and it, it kind of leads to another thing that maybe maybe it's a good segue moment <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to one of the other big... You know, I think one of the big kind of meta changes coming out of this campaign that organizations really need to get on board with is this sense that your organization is a single entity and a single personality to your supporters. Um, and, you know, when we were doing work with Oxfam in the past, we'd have this conversation where, you know, the person at the receiving end of your campaign doesn't know the difference between Oxfam International, Oxfam Grape, and Oxfam America, let alone the difference between the marketing, you know, supporter marketing team and the campaigns team and the advocacy team and the humanitarian team. Like, there's just one organization who ideally has some trust with that person who's communicating with them. And when you reorient your communication to be around that person, and their needs and talking to them like a person and talking to them as a person, um, you're going to have way better engagement rates. You're going to have much more meaningful action from those people. You're going to find them way more willing to take higher level actions like volunteering, um, you know, giving 
buying their time, giving giving more money, giving money in emergency situations than if you have this kind of bifurcated system that's in place with most organizations where there's no there's no single view of a person and the conversations they've had with the organization. Um, so it's something that, you know, in the corporate world and in the startup tech world has been happening for a while. They've been using tools that allow them to see a person, see how they've used their app, how they've, um, how they've spent money and all the conversations maybe they've had with their support team. Um, in the campaigning space, it's kind of meant this shift to seeing voters as, as a single person rather than a separate person for when you're trying to fundraise from them and a separate person when you're trying to get them to volunteer and a separate person when you're trying to get them to vote. Um, the more you can have a holistic view of this is just one person who cares about electing Hillary Clinton, maybe. Mm. Um, rather than the fundraising team sees this as a donor who's been a reliable $25 donor. And the the voting team sees them as a reliable four or five on their voting metrics. And the volunteer team sees them as someone who may or may not come out. And, and they're all having separate communications with this person. Um, but the campaigns, and you know, in some cases, just because they were small and under-resourced, um, in some cases, because they were being very strategic, they they've started seeing these people more as holistic beings, um, and that just opens up more possibilities to have meaningful communication with them. Um, and for also, it, it just also gives way more intelligence to the organization or to the campaign about who their supporters are what their supporters are willing to do, what kind of things they're asking for, and and what kind of asks you can give them and know that they'll respond. So, Jason, that sounds to me that the digital is actually leading the change through um, communications and campaigning um, instead of the, instead of digital just being a byproduct of, of what people want to communicate. Like, how have you seen... Is, is that is that right summation for me to make? And is like, or and if it is, like, how have you seen that happen? Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, we, um, you know, we're we're in the U.S. and we've done some work and seen some things around this campaign. So there's some knowledge we have from that. But we also were involved in the Australian election a couple of months ago, um, and. So one thing that's happened is that just that Facebook, um, some tools that have been built externally and some tools that Facebook has released have basically meant that you can match a voter file with a Facebook profile. Um, so, you know, and what I was talking about before, building these more holistic profiles of people, they're, they're building these profiles of their voters. Um, and Bernie Sanders' campaign did this in a major way, and Trump is actually doing this right now. And then what they're doing with those profiles um, is they're saying, where do we, where's our campaign have the most energy? So Bernie Sanders, you know, in those early days, wasn't doing a kind of traditional, oh, we got to spend all our time in Iowa and New Hampshire, because um, those are the first primary states. It was, where is actually our biggest pockets of support? Um, and that was really all led by the digital team. And, you know, People will talk about it as big data and data analytics, 
but none of it is is rocket science it's it's kind of looking at where your biggest facebook support is where when you send out those sms's you're getting the most response is and then figuring out literally what cities those are and then they would go have a rally in those cities so you know it's it all seems so incredibly logical when you lay it out like that um but i think what's transformative is that the digital team is actually giving the marching orders to the rest of the campaign right there's they're telling the um the field team where to put resources um they're telling the communications team where to put stories and and where to be working with journalists and and they're figuring out where their advertising is going to go based on that rather than you know usually it's going the other way around and you know so it's it's a convergence of this kind of more direct communication the digital team having more power in these campaigns because of 2008 and 2012 they've seen how important they are um and then this ability to do much more micro targeting on Facebook which helps you get a better picture of who all, all these voters and potential voters are um so what Trump is doing now is that is they're doing a very similar strategy to what Bernie Sanders did but because Trump is evil um, <laughs> and everyone around him is evil they're taking it a step further and they're trying to find soft support for Hillary and convince them not to vote basically so they're using Facebook dark posts um which are Facebook posts that come from an organization but they don't appear on the wall so you don't really see them unless you've been targeted with that post or or with that ad so you know they have dark posts trying to tell black voters that Hillary Clinton said super predator and and she's not going to help them and telling women that Bill Clinton's a horrible person and Hillary Clinton's been enabling him um and telling liberal white men who you know were probably bernie supporters many of them um hillary's going to enact these trade deals that you don't like if you're a good liberal so you know the possibilities of this being used for for good also mean there's equal possibility for it being used for evil um but it is incredibly powerful when you start really digging into the facebook analytics and and pulling out data or cross-referencing data that you have on people with who they are on Facebook. Um and I think what we'll see coming very soon on the heels of all this are some, you know, some privacy questions. Um but on the other hand, campaigns have been doing this for a while. They they have access to the voter files. A lot of people don't know that, but most campaigns are getting daily updates from Secretary of State's offices they they know who's voted who hasn't they have the ability to send targeted flyers and an email to you to say your husband hasn't voted remind him to which some campaigns have done which uh sounds very creepy but is also incredible Yeah effective. that's that's creepy McCrabes um right and I know in the US it has the US has slightly uh, less stringent privacy legislation than we do in the UK and within Europe so um but I do know that um uh, mainly because I saw a report on TV um there is a an agency that can correlate in the US um your 
about 4,000 different data points to individual voters because they overlay your voting your voting information with things like information from the shop that you use because if you didn't untick to say don't share this information that information is then being correlated and they can determine not only um you know who you're going who you might vote for but your shopping your all these different things about you and they're using that to create ads very specifically to you and to the area that they know that you go to it's um it was going to be i think will be interesting as you said like what comes out of this after the election and whether this is a step too far and people say, do you know what? I don't want to be followed around because it's very Blade Runner-y like <laughs> the yeah, way it's sounding. It, it just, it's basically, it's a Philip K. Dick novel, right? You know, that's been written for us, but um, yeah. it'd be interesting. And, and we're going to catch up after the election as well to sort of look at the ramifications of it and some of the questions that did come up and, um, you know, and, you know, depending on what the election result is, um, you know, what worked and what didn't. So um, we'll be talking about that in the future as well, which will be really interesting. Yeah, I I look forward to it. And, um, you know, there's, uh, we can put in the show notes, but yeah, we we have a blog post about the work in Australia. Um, You know, I don't think it all has to be evil and dark arts in this case. You know, one of the values of, of, uh, you know, supporter-led campaigning and having supporters start petitions has been that organizations have seen that their people care about issues that they didn't necessarily know they cared about, right? Um, And, you know, some of the work that we were able to do this cycle in Australia uh, helped, you know, we could target certain voter profiles with different messaging. and And through that, found out that they they cared about healthcare as a major issue, um, which was not something that was actually being talked about by the politicians. And what that means is you can then say, you know, in this very big town hall, hey, people are really concerned about this and care about it. And in that case, then go to the the candidate and say, what are you going to do? You need to talk about this. Um, this is important to the voters. And so I think there is some benefit of actually giving people more direct voice um, that can be used for this on um, on the using it for good side, and there's also the ability to target communities that are often marginalized, and that's something that you know we can talk about hopefully after the election. Some of these pilot programs that are doing just that, that are saying mm. groups that are often suppressed from going to the polls and are many ways silenced. What if we, what if we do buy data? to help make the, sure they get to the polls um, and make sure their voices are heard. Uh, so I think that opens up some interesting possibilities and some counters to the privacy concerns for organizations who care about social justice. Mm. I think, and just reflecting on what we've been talking about, for me, the whole thing can be described as actually just organizations being better at listening, like listening to yeah. what people are telling you and not just focusing on what you want to tell people and the technologies are helping you to listen better but we've all for a very long time have 
of people have sent letters, they've sent faxes, they've sent text messages, they've emailed us with things that they're concerned about, and it's whether we want to listen to those. So that will continue whether regardless of what the technology is, but it's what we do with the information and how we listen and actually taking on that on board. Yeah, and I really love that you went that direction because I think, you know, there's there's two things I'd want people to take away from this uh, above all else. One is that, you know, none of this is new. It's, you know, some of the mechanics of how you execute this is new, but the the type of work that's done to organize is is really not new. <laughs> and, and, in, and in many ways, I think we're, we're using the technology as an excuse to go back to tried and true practices that we know that work. Like, hey, what if you get other volunteers to go out there and talk to people and recruit more volunteers and, you know, very basic organizing work. Um, and I think the second thing is something that, you know, you have preached a lot and, and I thought was really insightful, which is we don't need more digital campaigners. We need organizers. And that sometimes massive and sometimes subtle, depending on the organization difference, um, is very important that we start seeing people more as organizers who are working with communities who are impacted and with people who are want to be, you know, in solidarity and organizing them rather than campaigners who are kind of handing down the campaigns from Starbucks on high, which is how things have ran, you know, mm. for, for the last decade, really. Well, I, I'm always happy to be told that I've done something right. So I'll, I'll endorse the message that you endorse my message. i'll drink to that (laughs) so um we're going to be talking to you again um after the election which as we just already said but also um we're going to be catching up sort of semi-regularly to so i'm based in the uk if you if you didn't know jason's in new york so just to uh get jason's perspective on what's happening in the digital slash social good um, area from from the US and um, so we can learn from each other and share the learnings out to everybody, which is basically hey, listen, why I started as, this podcast. Uh, yeah, as a middle-aged white male, I think I am perfectly placed to tell everybody <laughs> what's going on with technology and millennials. <laughs> well, you know, you, you do try, you, you try and stay up to date. I'll give you that. <laughs> Um, we should explain yeah, that we know each other quite well. That's why we can, we can yeah. make fun of each other. Yeah. So it's always a pleasure talking to you, Karina. And um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Also, thank you for doing this podcast. I think it's it's really great. And we're here in CoreLab, New York, always excited to, to hear the next episode come out. Um, so I guess I'll be less excited this time. Um, But, yeah, thanks for having me, and I look forward to more conversations in the future. Thanks a lot, Jason, and I'll talk to you in a few weeks. A big thank you to Jason Wojciechowski from CoreLab.co for taking the time to catch up with us today. We've also had lots of nominations for Digital Gold this week for the Facebook checking campaign at Standing Rock. This campaign was a way to show global support for an ongoing climate change protest to protect an important Native American area and the water sources around it from a proposed oil pipeline. 
So it's quite a big backstory to the campaign. So I've included in the show notes two articles that really tell you about the campaign as well as the broader issues um, that surround it. But essentially, it was a fantastic way to use the check-in feature to show not only the people that were at the protest, but to also give moral support to people that protest and to also um, make it a little bit harder for authorities who were trying to profile people who were at the physical protest. But I'll leave it to the articles to explain in more detail. Our next episode features Joe Wolf from Breast Cancer Care, who's going to chat to us about third sector digital maturity matrix that she and her team have been developing and why we should all stop using the phrase digital transformation and start working on digital maturity. It's a really interesting chat that I have with her, so I hope you um, take the time to listen to it. Once again, a big thank you for listening and being part of Good Digital. We love to hear from you, so please get in touch with us on Twitter at Good Digital Info, at facebook.com slash gooddigital, or our website, gooddigital.co. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and TuneIn by searching Good Digital. And as always, the Good Digital Podcasts are produced and presented by myself, Karina Brisby, and our background music is by CDK with the track Lies. Look forward to talking to you again soon.